Good afternoon. Get ready, folks. Get some ice, or I should say get some salt, because the ice is coming. Well, so they say. We hear this often. Uh, and get some bread and milk on the way home. It's probably already gone. Welcome to the Mike Janicek Show. We have a great program for you today. We're going to continue our theme of understanding the common good, and I'm again grateful to have Big Vince in the studio. Ding, ding. He's here. He's ready to roll. We're ready to roll, especially in light of uh, much of the discussion we've been hearing in the news lately. Um, in fact, I think President Obama yesterday cited our Pope and talking about income inequalities and now the minimum wage is coming up and we have a number of issues that are being kicked around out there that all deal with uh, this concept of the common good. So we're going to continue on to unpack this very important Catholic teaching, and uh, we're going to be thick in the weeds here. So put the thinking cap yeah, on. You, you can get a link to the article that prompted this discussion on the WLCR uh, talk show page under the Mike Janicek show. Excellent. Uh, there's a link. Click on it. It's a PDF. It's uh, 20, uh, 20, 22 pages. 22 pages. <laughs> a little so, light reading. A little light um, reading, but uh, it's important. absolutely worth reading. You don't even have to read the book that the article is commenting on. It's a very helpful article. Excellent anyway, article. All right, so uh, let's get to it. We're going to introduce our, our guide for the day or our guide for the hour and um, – Dr. John Goyette, hope I have that pronounced right. He'll tell me if I don't. And uh, Dr. Goyette is a tutor at St. Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. You notice that the saint just rolls off. I see Thomas Aquinas, and I put a saint in front of it, whether it's there or not. Aww. I think that's a good thing. Yep. He received a Ph.D. in philosophy from the Catholic University of America in 98 and was editor and contributed to a volume of essays on natural law entitled St. Thomas Aquinas and the Natural Law Tradition. And he has also published essays on Aristotle. Ar- I can't ever pronounce that. It's a cool word. Aristotelian, 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 <laughs> Thomistic natural philosophy. Cardinal Newman's idea of a university in Saint Augustine. Notion of education and on Christian doctrine. Publications have appeared at Catholic Uni- University Press, Saint Augustine Press, the Thomist Nova et Vetera, Maritime Studies, and the National. This is a great one, by the way. National Catholics Bioethics Quarterly. Fantastic publication. And we welcome on board to the Mike Janicek Show, Dr. John Goyette. Dr. Goyette, do I have your name pronounced correctly, first off? That's correct, yeah. Super. And th- thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. Um, I'm going to kind of turn this over now. <laughs> yeah, I'd say thanks uh, for, for a great article. Really uh, um, nice job on that. And uh, um, you're... you're uh, our, our our audience has been listening to us talk about the common good, but but it is a little thick to really extract all this information from, particularly Saint Thomas Aquinas, and I think your article has done a very good job of it. So I wanted you to kind of go through um, uh, some of the points that you make in the article, and I guess we'd start with what what is a good, and we've kicked around a couple of different uh, ideas on that. Doctor, what do you think? Well, let's see. Um, Aquinas, who you know, the article is, is mainly uh, kind of exposing or laying out Aquinas's notion of the common good. And Aquinas is a great uh, student of Aristotle, who um, who's, who says that the good is what all things desire. And uh, so Thomas kind of starts starts with that formulation. And um, but when he explain, explains that expression, Thomas notes that. Um, Finally, that something is desirable only insofar as it's perfect. So you might you might say, hey, the good is what all desire, and you might think, well, 
as long as something is desired by somebody, that makes it good. Well, Thomas kind of clarifies the the expression to make it clear that that what we mean by saying something is good is it's the kind of thing that objectively is desirable, um, and that's because it's something that's perfect. And uh, Thomas himself will say that, uh, you know, the the good is... um, each thing desires its own perfection, and so the the good for something is what makes it perfect. Okay, so we don't mean desire here in a very loose connotation. I can hear some of my audience screaming all the way through the mic- uh, headphones. We don't mean desire <laughs> as in like uh, 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 pleasures of the flesh or well, any kind of emotional. Uh, we mean desire in a much more uh, accurate way. Uh, Correct. Although I mean, you could you could have a, a something that is centrally pleasurable that could be a good as long as that's something that is finally perfective of you but but just because it's pleasurable doesn't make it good um correct but, but a pleasure could be something that's good okay <clears throat> so so the goods are what uh what, what we might call um r- rational things not strictly passionate things i mean the uh, yeah, that, that's well. The, finally, the, the passionate things are things that respond to our concupiscible or irascible appetite. You know, anger. Um, those things are only good insofar as they're in accordance with reason. So, you know, you think about Christ driving the money changers out of the temple. I mean, he there's a kind of a irascible appetite there, but it's finally in accordance with uh, with what's reasonable, what's what's the right thing to do, and that's for for a man that means to live in accordance with reason. So. You know, you, you could enjoy the pleasure of food as long as you're eating in a way that's in accordance with reason. That might mean, you know, eating a moderate amount, for instance. Um, okay. So so it's not to say that, that lower goods are not good, but they have to be finally in accordance with uh, what, what perfects our nature. And uh, man's nature is perfected by, by, at least on a natural level, by living in accordance with, uh, with reason. Okay. okay, so we find different types of goods, though. There, there are, in, in, in a community setting, we have uh, private goods, uh, we have uh, public goods, we may, in some circumstances, have goods in common, uh, but we also have this thing called the common good. What are the distinctions here? Well, see, the first thing to kind of get clear about when we speak, we speak about the good as something desired or, or something that, that we're seeking, um, that, that really is a key thing, because we need to understand that the good is finally a kind of an end or goal, something that, that draws us towards it. So when we speak about a, a common end or a common good, um, we're not just saying that it's common uh, by way of predication, as you might say that, well, health is good for me, and health is good for you, so I might say, oh, so health is a common good. Well, that's, that's not really the, the precise notion of, of common good we're looking for. A common good is finally um, a single end, a common end or goal that unites um, uh, many. So, um, you know, I might say if, if, uh, if we're thinking about a common good, it has to be finally something that could be shared in common without, without being diminished. So, for instance, if we sit down and share a pizza... Um, that's finally not a common good because the piece of pizza I eat is not the same piece of pizza that you eat. I much better or, liked your wine example in your article, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it is the 80th sure, yeah, anniversary. Or, of, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so if we share, you know, I, you're right, I use the example of wine in the article, and you might say we talk about friends sharing a bottle of wine together. 
finally, they don't they don't share the exact same wine because the wine in in your glass and the wine in my glass is not the same. So finally, uh, sharing the wine is that's not truly a common good, although. Sharing wine uh, might contribute to something that really is shared in common, such as you know our our shared conversation or our shared understanding of the truth. You know the phrase in vino uh, veritas. So I was hoping you'd uh, say that. Okay, <laughs> okay. I, I think I'm starting to put this together. So, well, wait a minute, Mike. Uh, the, the the in in the early days of America, we went stumbling out into the woods, and there was all this land that was owned by no one. Now is that a common good, a public good, good uh, or common goods? What what would you call the the unclaimed lands? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, it, that's a good question. Okay, fine. Oh, just, uh, my, my my thought is it 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 becomes uh, common when we share it, and so for example, maybe a, a, a the natural national forest or a national park, even though it's held by the government, we we use it in common. Mm-hmm. arguably a common good, not not the common good, but common goods, um, then uh, something like a police car or a fire engine owned by the public, so to speak, the government, but all, but operated by the government and for for the common good, but really broken down, it's into individual protections. Um, but that's a public good as distinct from the common good, right? Yeah, you mean by public, you mean it's some kind of good that's that's owned um, by the community or by the government, right. and uh, but it's but it's not necess- necessarily the case that you know the individual police car is is really something that all the citizens share in. I mean, finally, they right. might share in the kind of the public safety. That's a good that that uh, all the citizens can share, but. But you know, not everyone benefits from that police car. Okay, so the so guy. the car would at that point is a servant. It's a public good to public safety, almost yeah. mm-hmm. or public protection, which is a common good. It's Correct. a good we all desire. A, a publicly owned good in the service of a rightly of the, formed government, com- okay. and thus in the service of the common good. But we're trying to distinguish those things. Maybe particularly what we're trying to do is distinguish private goods like my individual health care, my individual dinner tonight, and, and the house that I go home to from the the government's role in protecting and, and furthering the common good. And so we're trying to get to a definition of the common good. Um, and uh, that so one thing you said just a minute ago uh, caught my Ear and and that is that when you have something that is part of the common good, by sharing it, you don't get less of it. You actually get more of it. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So take take the example of um, we were talking about wine, and I you know threw out the phrase in vino veritas, right? So if you think about something like truth, um, truth is not um, a good that's diminished by being shared. So if I'm if I'm thinking about uh, Euclid's geometry, you know the, the Pythagorean theorem. Uh, um, if I'm thinking about that, um, it doesn't mean if I'm thinking about it, then there's less of it for you to think of. Right. Um, when when you're thinking about that truth, and I'm thinking about that truth, it's not as if the more I think about it, the less you can think about it. Whereas if we're if we're dividing a pizza, if I get more, you get less. Um, Interesting, but 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 by sharing something like truth, by by sharing it in common, that can often deepen your understanding of the truth. Precisely by sharing it in common, by thinking about it together, it actually augments our appreciation of the good rather than diminish it. 
Okay. Yeah, but the, the, and that is completely immaterial. And in fact, anything that you could call uh, that would fit that definition would have to be immaterial because material things are divided. No? They're discrete. That's correct. In, in some sense, it has to be a spiritual good because, because it's something, yeah, material goods, when you divide them, in a way, you make them less, right? You, you don't. Uh, um, now, now, by saying immaterial, it doesn't mean that the goods you're seeking have nothing to do with the body or material things, but the good itself is finally not a material good. Okay, so like freedom, uh, uh, truth, uh, justice, justice, mercy, peace. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know mercy might be a different. Tough one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what? How do we fit those in? Well, here's the thing. I mean, if you if you think about a good as a, as an end, and then you say that a common good is is a is a good which is shared in common by many, you can have all sorts of different common goods. I mean, it can be something very simple. Like you think about uh, you know a football team; they all work together for a shared purpose, a shared goal. That's you know to to win a game or to win the championship. Or if you think about you know the sailors on a ship. Um, their kind of common purpose is to get that ship safely to port. If you think about, say, a family, the family um, can be united by children as a kind of common good. Um, so there can be all sorts of different common goods depending on the community you're talking about. Um, but one thing that, that Thomas will say is when you're talking about the common good in a stronger sense of common good, uh, you're thinking about a shared end or goal of a more perfect community, a community that's that's in a way self-sufficient. Um, so Thomas will say that in a way that the common good of of the political order of the, of the Chibitas is that's kind of a higher, more perfect common good than the common good of the family or the common good of the sailors on a ship or or the members of a football team. Um, and that's because um, that common end or goal, is something that that finally perfects uh, perfects man. It, it uh, just so Thomas will say finally that that the common good of of the political order is a, is a shared or communal happiness. Oh boy, uh, my red light, my red siren's going off on top I love of my it. heart. I helmet. love it when that happens to him. But go ahead. well, <laughs> go I, ahead, I see Mike. where you're going, but I want you to unpack it a bit more because I know a lot of listeners out there. When you said when you talked in the, in the, the family, common good is subordinate. I don't think you meant the fan. Well, you didn't say that. I'm saying that. Uh, you talked about the public or the. How did you pronounce that? Shivitas. The, yeah, that's just the Latin for for city. But for city, yeah, uh, is the ultimate common good. Why would the family not be the ultimate common good in the in this dynamic, or is it part of a larger common good? Well, I think the the uh, the good of the family shares in a larger common good, but but I mean, in a way, finally, Thomas will say that um, that the common good of the family finally is on a natural level. We're talking about here is finally subordinate to the common good of the political community, and that's because the family only reaches its its perfection when it's part of a larger order. So you you know we think about. We think about, uh, say, the, the goods of the family. We think about parents raising children and uh, trying to make those raising those children to be good children, you know, so that they they uh, attain virtue and live a good life and that they be happy. Um, and so, o- order, order, are, and discipline fit in there, right? As as goods yeah, in the family. Yeah, that's key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a father of nine children, so I I can appreciate Excellent. that. Excellent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, 
So in other words, it's not saying that, that the, the goods that the family uh, enjoys are not part of that larger common good, but the reason you see the common good of the family is as subordinate to the political common good is because, is because the family can't really reach its perfection unless it, it reaches it by sharing in that larger political order. Okay, but uh, we're, we're not saying here that uh, the family is subordinate. Yeah, we're not reversing the principle of subsidiarity here. Correct. Thank you, that, Vince. That's what he's worried about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I can see how some people, and, the, and I think that has been abused. I think it is. I, I think but, the concept. But the perfection of, of creation is the perfection of human society, and that happens as a, as a, as a universal matter. And so the the... The family contributes to and ultimately becomes a community, and then the community becomes part of a nation. And I so think on. people can. Civitas is as far as it seems Aquinas or Augustine and uh, um, not Augustine, uh, Aristotle and Aquinas seem to take it. Do they? Uh, am I catching that? Civitas as a political community can exist yeah. at multiple levels, but we refer to it in the abstract here as the civitas. Or the, yeah. yeah, the civitas. Yeah, so that, that's actually why I use the Latin term because if you just translate it as city, yeah, that makes you think like you know Los Angeles, or I guess you're you're out of Louisville, Louisville right? Um, uh, in a way, that's uh, by the civitas. Uh, Aquinas means the kind of the the larger political order that's self sufficient and and has a kind of sovereign kind of governing body. So Okay. Um so for us I think we wouldn't say Los Angeles is a chibitas, right? It's not it's not complete enough. Okay, so if I um, if I can maybe try to to give an example here to break this lower level and this if I'm wrong please tell me because I'm I'm really asking, I'm not uh, demonstrating. So what we mean by this basically is that an individual or a family uh really can't reach its perfection and flourish outside of that uh, uh public community because for example, we need protection. Uh, we need to work with others in a social construct for economic issues, etc. And without that larger community, we can't really perfect our own nature. Is that fair? Uh, I would say that's fair, but it doesn't go far enough. It's coarse. <laughs> well, he, no, it's. I don't know if it's coarse, but um, that's just it's certainly. <laughs> it certainly is the case that you need you need uh, protection, and you need a certain amount of material well-being and economic flourishing all those things are true right but but if the political common good is reducible to nothing more than safety protection and providing an economic marketplace that's fair and stable all of those things we're talking about the protection the stability of the economy economy the material goods all those things are finally only instrumental good. Right. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. That might be common. Others are common because we share them in common, but they're finally only uh, instrumental in the sense that they're ordered towards something more perfect than that. And that is, it's mm-hmm. ordered towards happiness or what what Thomas would call the life of virtue. So, okay, um, it's not just that the family needs physical protection, you know, police force or an army. And it's not just that the family needs a kind of a stable economy where it can can flourish materially. It needs it needs the larger political order, especially for um, the moral good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let that sink so, in. I'm, I'm, I'm letting that, before I ask a question, that would be stupid. <laughs> I'm going to let that sink in. Um, okay, go ahead, Vince. Sorry. 
Well, uh, the, uh, 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 I guess we covered it. One thing I bristled at in in, in your article was that the uh, the the discipline of the family was insufficient to create virtuous uh, um, men or people. And uh, the example you gave was a child who was unruly. Of course, as a father of nine, I guess you you get some clue that your early efforts have at discipline bear fruit in avoiding the the terrible twos and then ultimately the terrible teenage years. The <laughs> um, and so, why do you say that the family is not uh, sufficient there to to uh, perfect the child into a, into a man or a woman of, of virtue? Okay. Well, here here is it's important. There are kind of two ways in which that's true. You talk about discipline. Um, you know, it's not true that every family needs um, the compulsive power of the state, the coercive power of the state to deal with unruly children. That's that's probably more uh, more an exception um, than the norm. But first of all, you got to think about it this way: there are, you know, when when you think about teenage boys, at some point they get big enough. Uh, and in many, in some cases, no longer able to be controlled by their parents. So, so you need to have okay, but, uh, a larger critical words. In some cases, <laughs> go ahead. In some cases. That's right. <laughs> um, so I would say, in some cases, that's true. But um, that that's not, in a way, the most important way in which the family needs the no. larger political order. Uh, the larger political order is especially needed when you think about the kind of teaching function of law. So law, you can think about law as kind of coercive power. That is, you don't obey the law, you get, you know, pulled over by the police, and, you know, if you continue to misbehave, then you'll get sent to jail or have some other penalty. But but the other more important and higher function of law is as a kind of moral teacher. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so Thomas, when he defines law, he'll, he'll finally say that law is a work of reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only secondarily a kind of coercive force. The primary function of law is to make manifest um, which things are right and which things are wrong for Thomas. So so Thomas will actually say that the purpose of human law is to make manifest and to particularize those more general principles of the natural law that, that all men, in a way, have written on their hearts. But, but those but the natural law is so general it needs to be particularized. It means it needs to be made more specific. It's written on their hearts in crayon and marker. Wow. So now <laughs> I finally understand why this whole marriage issue is so, so important. Uh, we're bringing our political commentator along here. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about the political common good, and I don't want to diverge off on that topic, but boy, that there's a lot now to unpack there. Yeah, 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 but and, and and certainly those applications are fine. But we're we're our endeavor here is to get down the principles and understand the whys. Uh, that's W H Y apostrophe as anyway. Uh, of why we do this and, and these principles uh, come before we get to the particular. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to go. Yeah. I don't want to go down to the applications. Um, I do want to ask this question. I can certainly see why your article, Doctor John Goyette and uh, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle would have some serious issues with some of the more libertarian aspects of the the Tea Party movement because of what I perceive to be kind of a rejection of, of uh, or I, I, let me put it this way, more of an adherence to a radical individualism. 
But mm-hmm. but what about the, some of the collectivist uh, notions we see built on the back of what we call the common good? How do we make those differentiations? We're, we're going to do the whole next half hour on okay, that. Okay, well, so let's come back to that. I got one more thing I want to make sure we talk about in the in the in the principal introduction uh, here, and and the 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 uh, you you said once, but it needs to be repeated. I think the the definition of common good in in terms of common end rather than the instrumentality. Go over that one more time for me. Yeah, so so when we talk about a common good, that that word can be thrown around in a lot of different ways, but but when we say common good, we mean it's a it's a it's a common end or goal. And by a common end or goal, we mean that we're talking about one good, something that's one in number that's able to be shared by many without being diminished. So, um so, you know, I can speak about sharing something, you know, like a pizza or a bottle of wine. Um, but when I share that that good, it's I'm not really sharing the same good. I eat one piece right. of pizza, you eat another, I drink one glass of wine, you drink another glass of wine. But but the common good in the in the strict sense, the proper sense is a single a single good that can be shared by many without being diminished, like like the good of truth. I can well, you and I can both think about the same truth, and, and it's not as if the more I understand it, the less you understand it. Well, it's uh, right there with the wine and the pizza. I mean, we, we went out and bought these things together and brought them back and sat down to talk. They are common goods because we own them in common, and at least in a legal sense. But but the common good that really comes out of that is the civic friendship, the fraternity, the the, the and, so, and and the discussion and the learning of truth, which we both want as ends. Those are the ends of our purpose, our meeting, and our food and drink with it but the wine and pizza are instruments to that that's correct correct okay well i would go beer with pizza but that's a whole other show so get over Um, it you you just don't have not not getting them with the italian stuff okay it's wine that goes with pizza (laughs) Okay. okay yeah so like justice would be a common good that we all share that's not diminished by our pursuit of justice in in the society is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. um, your pursuit of justice doesn't in, didn't diminish my pursuit because of justice. justice. Is justice. In fact, we're both after the same justice. Okay, it is one justice. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, and the more and the more the the political order uh, administers justice fairly, the stronger the sense that all citizens have of what's right and what's wrong. So, so that moral good of of having kind of justice in the soul, that's perfected by by having justice administered. Um, in this and that case, in fact, that's one of the one of the things I didn't include in this version of the article is the discussion of punishment. But punishment has a kind of moral dimension that it it manifests, you know, first of all, that the the criminal is a moral agent, and that he deserves blame because his actions are 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 morally vicious or wicked, and and by by punishing, you're you're manifesting. To everybody, that these are shared views about what's right and what's wrong, and that and that just and that strengthens and solidifies the the virtue of justice that's in the soul of each citizen. Very good. Fathers okay. and punishment. That's uh, we know that one pretty well. <laughs> we, we've done. We've been down that road a lot. Uh, well, we're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, I want to talk uh, talk about the meaning of transcendence and the transcendence uh, transcendence of the common good. That, that concept, and then afterwards, don't we want to talk about these specific Yeah, examples? I want to get into some of how we yeah. apply this as Catholics in the modern world. All right, you're on the Mike Janicek Show. We are with Dr. John Goyette, and we will be back right after the break. Thanks for being with us.
Welcome back to the Mike Janicek Show or the Mike and Vince Show. We got to just start calling it the Mike and Vince Show. <laughs> I like being I like being able to not show up whenever, not have you complain well, that's about true. it. <laughs> All right, we're with Dr. John Goyette. He is a tutor at St. Thomas Aquinas College, a brilliant philosopher, obviously. If you've been listening <laughs> to the first half of the program, uh, by the way, you must be friends with Edward Fazer. I do know Ed Fazer. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. You guys need to do a good road man. show. Um, okay, so we're back, and we're talking about, again, trying to unpack this whole uh, concept and, and truth of the common good with well, Dr. The, the, John Goyette. So go and, ahead, And the Vince. title of your article in the National Catholic Bioethics Center Review, what is this? Uh, what's the title of the journal, Dr. Goyette? Uh, it's the Na- National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. Quarterly, yes. And this is the spring 2013 edition, and now I want to focus on page 149. <laughs> in which okay. uh, you're talking about, uh, well, first, the title of it is the trans- On the Transcendence of the Political Common Good. And uh, on, on page 149, we start talking about justice as a virtue and general justice and particular ju- justice and distinguishing it from uh, charity or you know, also talking about charity with the divine good as the proper o- its proper object. But I want to talk about what do we mean by, if, if we're going to say that the common good is, is transcendent, what, what does that mean? Uh, and uh, does, is, that, is that a way of saying that that's what the government has to first focus on or should primarily focus on? What is, uh, yeah. Sort all well, this out correct. for us. Well, okay. So first of all, uh, by transcendence, that, that might be taken to mean kind of transcending the natural world that's that's not that's not what what I intended in the title of the article the, the the principal meaning I'm using here of transcendence is just that the common good transcends the good of individuals or families that share or participate in that common good so by 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 calling the political common good transcendent I'm primarily trying to contrast Thomas's view Aquinas's view of the political common good with the notion of of uh, a political common good that's merely instrumental, so uh, kind of you had mentioned the libertarian view. Well, well, uh, especially the hardcore libertarians have a notion of government as having a very limited goal, and and that goal it might be common in some sense because it's shared by many, but that goal is finally only an instrumental good. It, it's there to protect, you know, life, liberty, and property, for instance, to okay. safeguard against crime and maybe to have a kind of st- a stable marketplace. But finally, if that's all that the, the political common good is about, then on that understanding of the political common good, it would, it would be subordinate to families and individuals. That's and what I was the, getting at earlier. Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, but, but we have all kinds of people wanting to make all sorts of claims about what government ought, ought to do. And it would seem to me that the things that we've been talking about and the, 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 the natural law role of government is, is not to pursue or the, the, the role of government is not to pursue salvation. It's to pursue the common good, which is a concept we get from natural law. Um, and does, does transcendent in some way mean primarily immaterial or is or is collectivism where the government takes all this stuff and gives it out so everybody gets gets what what they need? Uh, where where do we go with that? It should what's the hierarchy of values here in this question? Well, here's I think a key thing. I mean, so if by under, by transcendence we mean that the the end that the political order is pursuing 
is higher and more perfect than, than just a private pursuit of happiness that you might pursue on your own or with your family. But, but the key thing here is the principal end of government for, for Aquinas, and really I think for the whole Catholic tradition, I mean, you can find papal encyclicals that cite St. Thomas going all the way back. Uh, well, at least back to Aquinas, not, mm-hmm. <laughs> not from the beginning. But, but um, the, if you say the principal end of government is to promote the life of virtue, that means that the main role of government is to promote virtuous living, the more, a moral life. Um, so insofar as, as government is concerned with other things, like material goods, the marketplace, and safety, those things are only, are only there insofar as they help us pursue the good life, the, the, the life of virtue. So um, it's not necessarily the case that government ought to be trying to micromanage the economy or to take over health care or to try to redistribute wealth, there might, there might be some way in which government wants to um, uh, make it possible for people to arise out of poverty and to have certain material goods available to them. But that's finally so that they can live a morally good life, the virtuous life. So if you're in dire poverty, it's, it's hard to, 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 to have the virtues um, and, and to live a morally virtuous life. So... Um, so as long as you see that the key, the principal end is the life of virtue, then that raises lots of questions when you're asking about, say, government programs that want to redistribute wealth, or you know, the, obviously the big thing on on the the front burner now is is Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And right. if you think about, yeah. well, so if you I think th- about it, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, the, I don't know that we can uh, we we have to take the virtuous life as something other than the Catholic definition. I, I think to the extent that that includes revelation and, and salvation, since since our government, civic government, is not primarily religious. Am, am, I, am I missing a, a, no, a you're, step? Yeah, yeah. I, by by saying the the virtuous life, I um, I'm understanding that to mean on a natural level, and it's not not uh, we're not talking about uh, faith, hope, and charity, and we're not even talking about. The kind of the the moral virtues, insofar as they're ordered to, towards salvation, we're talking about on a natural level. So if you think about, you know, Aristotle has you know a famous book called the Nicomachean Ethics, where he he outlines the moral the moral life from a from a natural standpoint. He didn't have grace in that revelation, but you can see from a natural level there are certain whether or not you're a Christian or a Jew or a non-believer, you can see that certain certain qualities of the soul are, are, are good and excellent. So you, you might talk about the courage of a soldier or a police officer or a fireman, mm-hmm. or you talk about someone who's generous. You know, so kindness or generosity is a kind of virtue. You don't have to be a believer to, to recognize that. Okay, but the government regulates and teaches um, in, in, in passing laws. And, uh, for example, they pass laws regarding minimum wages. And if the government decides that everybody should have uh, uh, $100 an hour as their wage that will provide uh, um, the possible virtuous life, the, the, I mean, there, there are, there's more than one kind of problem with that. One of them may be a prudential economic argument because you're going to put most people out of work because nobody's going to pay that's them. The but, that's, but that's <laughs> but that's a practical argument. I'm looking more for a philosophical 
reason, is that the proper role of government to even set a minimum wage? Well, I mean, I think it's a it's a complicated prudential question. I think the first the, the point you raise about it uh, practically, I mean, that's maybe the more more obvious thing that um, you know might drive businesses out um, out of business. Um, but I think here's I think you, earlier you brought up the notion of subsidiarity, and I think mm-hmm. this is a really key key point. If the principal end of government is to re- promote the life of virtue, um, it First of all, it's only concerned about material goods insofar as it's necessary to to promote those so that one can live the good life. But if you think about something like uh, the minimum wage, um, I think there's a real question about how how far should it, should government get involved in determining things like that, micromanaging economic um, forces. Uh, Maybe. How far should it? How far should it go there? Because at some point, the more government micromanages, the more it's, it's in a way, eliminating or reducing individual liberty. And certainly for Thomas and for Aristotle, you can't live the good life unless you have a certain amount of liberty. You, can make, you need to be able to make decisions on your own. And, and you, you can't be generous, for instance. If the government takes all your money and they redistribute it for you, you can't exercise the virtue of generosity, right? Correct. You can't so, exercise. You know, we can't have charity hospitals if the government correct, makes yeah, them liable for everything. Well, but those again, in fairness, I think most of those are prudential arguments, and and why. But that's why we're trying to get to it. Right. We want to know is, and I guess where's the role of the church here? Uh, I mean, I understand Aquinas's point on the law, but what about the church in in the sense of teaching the faithful? How does a, an employer go about paying his employees? Uh, it strikes me there's a role there, but Vince is right. I mean, what what are the uh, the philosophical implications for the common good when we talk about these kinds of government uh, involvement in liberty? You, you've got. Well, the I guess po- that, Go ahead. Well, I mean, just one thing I think maybe is important is I don't think that you can just in principle say the government has no role in determining economic matters or making, say, labor laws. For instance, I mean, child labor laws seem like they're a good thing. It's Correct. a bad thing to have young kids, you know, before their bodies have matured to, you know, work in a factory with, you know, sure. minimal lighting and work 10 hours a day. Certainly, those, uh, that's true. And OSHA laws for the protection, the safety of workers. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, I think environmental protection laws, you can't, you can't fail to justify that. The community has a responsibility, and it's all prudential where you draw those lines, and we can scream and argue right. in, in, in legislative sessions all day long. But, but the, the, the thing that, you know, the, the government through law teaches, it also mandates, and the government through its programs can provide. And so you might say, okay, well, if the government wants everybody, to, the poor, to have health care, let them open up clinics and pay for that and use tax money to do it. Okay, maybe. Um, and another thing is, but does the government then mandate that all doctors have to provide 50% of their time to doing free medical care, for example? And, and I mean, these, this is the functional effect of a minimum wage law. And so is there a philosophical argument about how far the government goes there? Are we, have we completely abandoned the common good and the, the immateriality or, I don't know, maybe the transcendence, and fallen down into particular goods here? Well, I mean, I, 
if, if you're talking about a philosophical argument, I think finally um, it's an argument of prudence and what reason would say. So it's not as if you need to be a philosopher to think through the, the consequences of of making this or that law. But if, if you say that the principal aim of government is to promote the good life, then I think there is something a little upside down when government, now it seems like government is focusing more on material goods and instrumental goods than it is on moral goods, right? So, um, but I but I think it, it's not the case that um, uh, government simply should stay out of the marketplace. No, 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 nobody, can, we're not arguing that. In fact, we, we've had plenty of the, <laughs> the Ann Rand acolytes on here to beat up on uh, several times. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I, I think a lot of people out there. Let, let's just since we're talking about the minimum wage today and a lot of uh, news news sources, you know, let, let's break it down on a real simple level. Let, let's say that I decide I've got some wood in my backyard that I need brought up to the deck because it's going to get cold, and I'm willing to pay the teenager next, seventeen year old next door six dollars an hour to bring those up. Uh, we have an agreement. He agrees to it. I agree to it. Is there no philosophical principle that keeps the state? from inter- interceding in that agreement that we've just made out of our own free volition to bring the locks to my deck, or is it simply a matter of prudential judgment? Hmm. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess <laughs> I would say that, I mean, maybe in a way that prudential arguments bleed into questions about, say, subsidiarity, because you might say, well, if if you have an emergency, you know the government might need to say ration out food and and take a fairly fairly strong control of of very particular matters relating to say labor and food and material goods. Um, but it's always a question: well, well, when should it get involved and how far? Um, but I think you certainly do in terms of thinking about prudence. It's important to keep that principle of subsidiarity in mind because. Um, if you if you think about the government getting involved, it has to be very careful that it doesn't take over things and centralize things that really are are better dealt with at a lower level. I mean, you, you've probably uh, read or, or heard about um, uh, de Tocqueville's. Uh, he has a famous book called Democracy in America, and and another book called The Old Regime and the French Revolution. And Tocqueville is really great on this because he says if you look at a, a democratic government, they tend more and more to be centralized so that more and more of the powers of governing and administering are taken over by a centralized power, and that, that just kills liberty. And so I, I think when you're thinking about the principle of subsidiarity, that's articulating the importance of, of individual liberty and not uh, you know, government micromanaging people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these these laws, like the minimum wage, tend to have that effect. The more they get involved, they're micromanaging things that are that really would be better uh, taken care of at at a lower level. Yeah, well, we're we're getting you know we're getting into the practical things and and into the um, getting away from the meaning of the common good and what principles of justice might apply in that situation and. Uh, uh, it, that seems, when we're talking about a relationship between two private individuals, to be a matter of particular justice, not a matter of, of general justice or legal uh, um, norm, uh, well, general justice. And, and isn't it the government's role to focus, um, and um, I'm maybe using these words not quite correctly, but to promote the general justice um, and only secondarily the particular 
Well, yeah, in that sense that that general justice in a way is is pertains to all the moral virtues insofar as they pertain to communal life, whereas particular justice has to do with exchanges between individuals. But in a way, particular justice is 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 part of universal or general justice because it's one sure. of the virtues. Um, so you know, certainly you ought you have you know um, courts that uh, arbitrate disputes between parties, making contracts with one another, um, and so uh, you know, obviously the government sh- is is involved and should be involved in some of those matters, but I think really the prudential questions are, are the larger looming questions here. Because yeah, you I... have to ask, you know, for instance, minimum wage tends to tends to eliminate jobs that teenagers can get. If you keep raising the minimum wage, then, you're, you know, you're at someone who's 16 or 17 years old won't be able to get any job, right? Well, so, right. Well, let me open Pandora's box here. We, we always focus on what we're paying individual workers, why aren't we focused on how much the corporations are making? If you want to yeah, talk well, about, I mean, you know, look at both sides of this. If we're going to get into private goods and private uh, particular justice here, why, why don't we have a, a uh, minimum wage uh, uh, separate category for each level of business so that GE pays a higher minimum wage or Walmart pays a higher minimum wage than, than, than Mike Janicek's woodworking uh Shop, burning, shop. <laughs> burning wood, burning shop. Yeah, then then the neighbors, then grandma down the street who needs a kid to carry the wood in. Well, that would be, really be micromanaging. Well, I mean, if, if we, we look, the camel's nose is in the tent. <laughs> if you want to micromanage, what? Is there something offensive to the common good or general justice or charity or anything else to have? This this kind of a process where you know the different payers and different uh, receivers are handled differently. Yeah, well, I guess I guess I I guess I'm inclined to think that that you're right in thinking that um, that would really push the direction of micromanaging. And uh, you know, I think we can. Well, I think we can all recognize that if if the government micromanages too far, then we really have a case of despotism. Um, and and the Really, the the idea of the common good is not to gobble up the functioning of every lower order. Right. And but the point of the common good is to is to kind of promote and give a vision of the good life, the moral life. It's not to make all your decisions for you. Right. It's just not right. to um, not to take away liberty. In fact, liberty is a, is a key thing to to. You need liberty to live the good life. If you don't have any liberty. Then you're not making your own decisions. You can't live the life of virtue. Well, and this again, and this is a, a question I want to ask because we, we you're talking again, gobbling up low, lower orders, and we're back to the principle of subsidiarity. But I, I'm struggling with this idea because we talk about a principle of subsidiarity, and that's fine. But really, determining which order best handles solving a particular problem is one of prudence. So, is it really a principle? And, and if we go back to my firewood. You know, I would argue, look, we've got a decision here between the two of us. We're working in liberty. We're working in good faith. He's agreed to do it at $5 an hour. I've agreed to pay him $5 an hour. He's living at home. He needs some extra pocket change, et cetera. That's my argument. But now Barack Obama is going to come in and say, well, you're going to set a bad precedent. Before too long, we're going to have abuse and so forth and so on. So the the minimum wage law even applies in your situation. The, The point I'm making is how do we protect this 
thing of called the principle of subsidiarity when we're really talking about prudential questions as to which order best solves the problem? Well, I don't think you can. There isn't kind of one general statement that's going to that's going to settle that question. But I guess I would say that um, if because you have abuses in some places, doesn't mean that you need to necessarily jump in and have some kind of uniform, centralized government program. Um, you know, you've probably heard the, the phrase that exceptions make bad law. Because <laughs> you have some hard cases, case, yeah. Yeah, or hard cases make bad law. Just because you have some cases of abuse doesn't mean, oh, well, we need to change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the more government makes laws and changes laws, that tends to produce a kind of instability in the political order. It tends to make people respect law less. Yes. So, so Aquinas will say, even if you have a law that's that's not a good law, it's a bad law. If if it doesn't cause great harm, you should probably leave it alone, because the the more your uh, government's in the business of changing laws, the more uh, people lose respect for law. Interesting. So you know, every time you have a problem, like you have a school shooting, you know, say, oh, we better totally change change the laws. Yeah. I mean. That that's that's a dangerous precedent to always be making new laws. So every year we've got thousands of pages of new laws on the book. That's 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 kind of a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, it, and it also gives the impression of arbitrariness and, and capricious behavior. And and of course, you know, then you get into this question of respect for the law. And I think, regrettably, that's where many of us are today in America, especially the small businessman. I won't well, ask you to comment on that, Vince. Uh, <laughs> we're 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 getting a little afield from what I hoped our topic was, and I guess my point would be that um, we're, we 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 want to talk about law as teacher. We want to talk about uh, law as as compulsion. Um, and, but but the end of all these things is the common good, and and I guess the problem is is the collection of individual goods by all the different ways that we deal with that. Uh, necessarily or appropriately a part of the common good? Um, well, I mean, if it's just a collection, then it's not, it's not, a, it's not a common good. But, but you can have particular goods that um, are ordered towards and are... are um, you can have particular goods that, that government um, mandates or orders in some way because it's necessary to to safeguard and maintain a a common good. So, for instance, you you know the government might make certain laws saying what uh, what the pay soldiers should should get, or maybe giving them a break on their taxes if they they serve in combat. Laws like that are, are having to do with particular goods, right? But but there's a compelling interest there for the government to get involved in particular goods because it's it's important to to uh, support our soldiers right and and uh, to what? encourage people to to act courageously for their country well then what keeps us from i mean real there there is a special case where it the the soldiers are serving the government they're employed by the government they they they're public employees if you will it, but it is it's the 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 minimum wage thing is slightly different. It's not the government that's paying those wages. Um, the this, is there any? We've talked about subsidiarity, but that, um, I, I'm really looking for a definitional thing in in if the if the natural if the if the government is to pursue the common good, 
does that mean the government is also then pursuing um, all other goods and collecting all other goods and redistributing all other goods? Is subsidiarity the only limitation? Um, well, I mean, if you think, if you, I mean, this is something I brought out in the article that uh, Thomas will say that law as such is ordered towards towards happiness, which he says the the communal communal life of happiness, and that's the life of virtue. Law only pertains to other goods insofar as they contribute to that. So if you have something that doesn't bear on the common good, then law does not have any jurisdiction to deal with it. But I'm a lawyer. Uh, I can make everything fit into anything. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> come on, that's what you do. Um, and I can argue that Mike's situation with a teenager, uh, separate from child protection laws, is um, it should be $100 to carry the wood up to the house because, heck, Mike probably has it. I don't care in this particular case because I'm only focused on one side um, as government. But, you know, why not have a $100 minimum wage? Well, I, I think it would, would probably de- destroy the economy. And, okay. Uh, is, and- is that similar to why, why do we not uh, make the death penalty for, for prostitution or pornography or so on you know, and try to stamp out every possible example of it? Well, I mean, that that's a little bit of a different case because, I mean, first of all, I'd say this. I I think in many cases you can't eliminate prudence as as the principle by which you decide whether a law is, is good or bad. I mean, something like, uh, say, whether you have the death penalty for prostitution. I mean, when you're thinking about punishment, you have to, if, if you want punishment to fit the crime, then you need to sort of have a, a sure. system okay. of punishment yeah, that is where you have more serious crimes. Right. have more serious punishment so um all right well um we're, we're about out of time so i think we have to we have to have you back yeah <laughs> uh boy this has been a great discussion doctor and we thank you so much for your time especially the full hour today so uh appreciate your time very much and uh wish i had the financial resources to send my son <laughs> out to st thomas aquinas in, in santa paula california because uh just just great work so thank you very much dr john goyette Sorry, we don't have a book to plug. Maybe you'll work on that. Well, you can get the link to the article. And Doctor, does Doctor Witt? Do you have a book? Uh, no. I mean, I have one that I edited on natural law, but uh, you know, I've thought about working on a book, but it's, yeah, I haven't produced it yet. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll be in touch. We're gonna, Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Thanks for being with me on the Mike Janicek Show. Show today. Next week we have Michael Corn. He is the author of The Future of Catholicism. You want to stay around for that. And then Representative Jim Wayne, we're going to shift and go to local here and talk a little bit about the bridges and tolling and so forth. So it'll be a fun discussion. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.